So let's uh, get to our um, subject, shall we? And may I just um, pray and ask God's help. Father, we, we ask as we look into your word that you will speak to us from it. And pray, Lord, that even this passage, which is not the easiest, we might learn something which will be a help and a blessing to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Your dear pastor, when he sent an email to me, uh, said, it's not the easiest of subject, John 8, 1 to 11, but he said very confidently, I'm quite sure you've preached on it many, many times. Well, in actual fact, my answer to Roger would be something like this. Yes, Roger, I know the passage. I've only ever preached on it once. And for some reason, totally unknown to me, because I keep everything, I can't even find the notes. So I had to start from scratch on John 8, 1 to 11. Because it's not the sort of pro- pro- passage that you would wake up and think, I feel I should go and preach John 8 at the church today. It's not that sort of passage, is it? In fact, in some Bibles, it's not even there. Uh, and even in my Bible, it says, most early manuscripts admit, verses 1 to 11. But looking at all the commentators that I could, they made two points. They said, number one, there is nothing in that passage that is not truly following the truth of Scripture. And number two, it seems a very genuine story because it's the sort of thing that could easily have happened. You remember how the Pharisees came to the Lord and they asked him if we should, they should pay tribute to Caesar. And he gave a very wonderful answer. Give to God the things of God. Give to man the things of man. But they were trying to trick him and trip him up. And this is exactly what they're doing again as they come to him on this particular occasion. So just to set the scene, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's teaching in the temple. His teaching was was recognized as quite remarkable. They came to arrest him and they said, never man spake like this man. Uh, They were very thrilled as they saw. The guards declared, no one ever spoke the way that this man does. It was quite remarkable that they couldn't arrest him because they saw how wonderful his teaching was. It emphasized the law. And there in verse 19 of chapter 7, uh, the Lord made it very clear uh, when he said, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. So what I'm trying to emphasize is that he was teaching the law. And his teaching was quite remarkable as crowds gathered to hear him. And his teaching caused division. Uh, Some people felt that this was a good teaching. Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. He's a good man, some said. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. There was division about Jesus at that time. The next day, he gathers a crowd. He'd gone to uh, Mount of, he'd gone to Bethany at the night, and then he came back uh, from the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again and started his preaching. And so they bring to him this woman. So we just very quickly remind ourselves of the story. Uh, he's teaching the crowds. He's facing quite a bit of opposition, of course. And the Pharisees bring this woman to him and accuse her. This woman was caught in the act of adultery, which, of course, in those days was a complete uh, breaking of the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So they had every right to accuse this particular woman at that time. 
What happened to the man, nobody knows. And because of that, some have suggested that the sin of the woman was not the thing that really occupied their minds. It was just using her as a trick to trick Jesus. It may even have been a complete setup. We just don't know. But one thing is pretty clear. They weren't too worried about the law. And they did say she should be stoned. But basically they set a trap so that they could accuse him. You see, the response could have been in two ways. If Jesus had said she should be stoned and she should be, the law should be carried out, which was what the Old Testament said should happen to somebody taken in adultery. But if the Lord had said that, there were two things that would have happened. Number one, the work that he had done over the period of his public ministry, showing kindness and care and grace and love to the most unlikely people, people who said, what's happened to this mercy? What's happened to the grace and the love of Christ? He's condemning a woman to death. But also, he would be doing something that would have brought him immediately with confrontation with the Romans. Because they'd taken over the country, they were the only ones who were unable to organise or to identify and agree to capital punishment. That's why they had to go to Pilate, because they wanted to put the Lord to death, of course. The Lord would have been completely in opposition to the Romans if he had said she should die. So there was one way, of, one side of the coin. The other side was this. If he said she should live, then he would say, they would say, he's not actually saying the law doesn't matter. Uh, he can't in any way agree with the law being broken. He must do that. He must appear before the Sanhedrin. He's teaching people they should break the law. So you can see the trap that they had set in, which was very clever, really, in one way or another. Jesus wrote on the ground... On two occasions, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We have no idea why he did that, what he wrote on the ground. But it has been suggested, and maybe it's quite relevant, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When the law was written, and Moses took those tablets of stone, it is said that it was written by the finger of God. And now the finger of God is writing on the ground. Did he write those very words that were in the law? I just don't know. But it's just possible. Some have suggested he didn't want to face them. He just wanted to be quiet for a moment as he thought of the answer. I just don't know. He said to those without sin should cast the first stone. And that that was the answer, his reply to them. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. He stooped down and wrote again. And when he stood up, everyone had gone away but the woman. Quite an amazing story, isn't it? An amazing story, which is here, I think, for our learning, for us to take away lessons from it. The Lord said to her, go and leave your life of sin. So, what's the first lesson? Well, there's no doubt about it, the woman had sinned. She had broken the seventh commandment. She had defied God's principle of marriage. In some way or another, she deserved God's punishment. That was what the law said in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There was no doubt about it. She deserved punishment if what had happened had truly happened, what they accused her of. But the Lord even had emphasized that in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He had made it very clear on the sanctity of marriage. 
and she had broken that if what they accused her of had actually happened. Just to take away from that a moment and just to say, well, we may point the finger at this person, but let us be very clear, of course, that um, every one of us have failed God in different ways. Not a single one of us are immune from that, are we? And um, we just have to recognize this, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can see the sin in others so easily, can't we? But we need to recognize that there's sin in all of us. And that even when we come into the wonderful relationship of being children of God, in the wonderful relationship with God our Father through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we still sin. Human nature is like that. We still fell. And when John took up his pen and wrote his great epistle, writing especially to Christians, he said, if we confess our sins, he is able and just to forgive us our sins. And we need to realize that, don't we? In our world today, amongst us all, so easy for sin to come in, but we have to thank God that we have a cleansing. And that's why that little chorus that comes from years ago was so right. Cleanse me from my sin, Lord. Put thy power within me. Take me as I am, Lord, and make me all thine own. That's what we need, isn't it? That daily cleansing. The Lord gave a wonderful example of that, of course, uh, when he washed the disciples' feet. And uh, Peter said, no, don't wash my feet. And then he said, well, wash me all over. And the Lord said, you don't need that, Peter. In actual fact, when you came to follow me and devoted yourself to be a true disciple of myself, you were washed in the bath of my cleansing. But every day when you go out and you walk on this dusty road, your feet get dirty. They need to be washed. We belong to Christ. Our sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ. It's that wonderful work of Christ that has made it possible for us to be totally forgiven. And as that great hymn says, we stand forgiven at the cross. But every one of us have got dirty feet as we walk through life. And sins come. And how we need to recognise that. And to keep short accounts with God. If we confess our sins, he's able and just to forgive us our sins. That sin demanded judgment. But let's recognise this. That God alone is a judge. We judge by human standards. But the Lord Jesus judged by his own standards. And one of the reasons why they think that this particular uh, passage is slotted here in John's Gospel. Is because Jesus said this uh, concerning judgment. He said in verse 15. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge... My decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. So we recognize, of course, that God's judgment is so clear and so plain, not by human standards. I have a friend who has brought up in Honduras, and uh, he once told me something that I've never forgotten. He said, it's very easy for all of us, we're all guilty of it, of pointing the finger. And he said... We often do that, don't we? Somebody's done something wrong, and whether we tell them or whether we just think quietly about it, we point the finger. But he says, every time you point your finger at somebody, there are at least three fingers pointing at yourself. Can you see, my, even with my simple visual aid and my arthritis, I'm pointing myself. I point the finger, but I'm pointing three at myself. And that's why the Lord said, judge not that you be not judged. Those who judge must be prepared to be judged. And that's where the, the, the people who came, the Pharisees, on that particular day, 
they had no right to judge this woman. And that's why they walked away, I think, with a guilty conscience because no one was prepared to take up a stone and throw it at the woman because they knew that they were wrong in their own life. Whether they had sinned in this particular way, it didn't really matter. But they were nowhere in that category which the Lord said, listen, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So we should all be judged though, of course. And this again is quite a serious thing, isn't it? All have sinned. Every one of us must give an account of himself to God. We're not going to face the judgment of a God who judges sin, but we are going to face the judgment of a God who says, how have you used your life since the day you came to Christ? We shall be judged. Everyone must give an account. So sin demands judgment. And as a Christian, it's very vital that we keep close to God and keep very near to him. And he deals with us just as we are. I notice on our programme we're going to sing Just As I Am. And uh, the lady who wrote that... um, she came from a, a religious background. I think her father was a vicar. And uh, she, um, she struggled with things. She was religious. She went to church. But um, eventually things didn't go very easily for her in her life. And um, she said to somebody who was speaking to her, I never really committed my life to God because I just don't feel I'm good enough. And I can't do what I feel I should do for him. So I've never really given myself. And the man said to him, said to her, just come as you are, just as you am, and he'll accept you. And isn't that wonderful? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. We know the word so well. She said, oh, just, just as I am, I come. And that's how we are. We may have failed dismally in our lives. There may be things that we're so ashamed of. Just like that woman who was in front of a great crowd of people, with shame written all over her because of how she'd been caught, apparently, and how they accused her. But that shame disappears when we just give ourselves over to him and we're in his hands and he holds on to us. That's when it disappears, I think, myself. So, grace and truth. This is a wonderful thought, really, because the Lord said to her, neither do I condemn you. She had done wrong. There's no doubt about that. If what... She'd been accused of it actually happened. But he said, I'm not prepared to condemn you. I don't agree with what you've done, but I don't condemn you. He showed grace. But he then said, go and now leave your life of sin. He showed truth as well, didn't he? We hear that. The law was given by Moses. It was rigid. It was tight. There was punishment. Everything was given in the Old Testament. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And it's easy, isn't it, to get unbalanced. There are some folks who are very, very strong on truth and lack love. There are others who are so feeble uh, with love and grace and kindness and care that they haven't got any truth. We need the balance, don't we? And the Lord in those words, I think, did the balance. Neither do I condemn you. I don't condone what you've done, but I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Change your life. That's what you need to do. So the Lord was showing grace and truth in a very special way. The challenge for us is so easy to condemn. And it's easy to condone. Not easy to condone, is it? But we need to have the challenge. I thought as I came to the conclusion in my little talk this evening, there were four things that struck me about this passage. The first is this. To stand in front of Christ 
we are conscious of his great holiness, his majesty. I don't suppose I shall ever stand in front of our queen. But if I did, I would feel pretty uncomfortable. I'm sure anybody who stands there in front of her does. Because of her greatness and many things she's done because of the aura that goes with her majesty, the queen of Great Britain. But when we stand in front of God, as those people did, they just quietly walked away. They were aware of the holiness of God. And we need to be aware of that, don't we? That's why the Lord Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross, because God had to deal with that sin. And we need to be aware of that. Her sin was there. Our sin is there. But thank God it's gone. There is now no condemnation, as we sang in that great hymn, and can it be. No condemnation We're free. We're in front of God, forgiven, and we're forgiven in every way. Thank God for all that. Our sin can be forgiven. Even in the sight of a holy God, God forgives us. Their judgment. I just felt I would put that there because how easy it is to think of other people and point the finger and say they're doing wrong, they're doing wrong, they're doing wrong. I'm not responsible for them. They're responsible for their own lives. But I am responsible for my life. And how I live, and what I say, and what I do, and what I think. Hmm. Very challenging, isn't it? Before God. Not before others, but before God. And I live before God. And nothing is hidden from the eye of God. Nothing at all. He knows everything about us, doesn't he? And that sometimes is quite challenging just to realise that I have to live as I should be before God. With all my failures, but he's always there for me. The challenge is then to just take that to heart and to recognise how important it is to live as we should, be what we should be, and be what he wants. And when they all disappeared, in a sense the Lord could not judge them, judge her, because the witnesses had disappeared and it had to be out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. I was reminded of the verse that I think is in John chapter 3 and verse 17 after the great John 3.16. The Lord Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but for that the world through him might be saved. And praise God for our salvation, which is wonderful. He has saved us, and we can be thankful for that great and glorious salvation. I went with a friend of mine to have communion with a, a dear friend of ours who can't get out of his bed, who has to be hoisted into his bed, can't get out of his room, in a really sad medical state, physical state. But we took communion with him, and he made this point to us, which I thought was so beautiful. He said, in the scriptures, it doesn't talk about the salvation, but it talks about my salvation. And what God has done for me, through Christ, is my salvation, and I can praise God for that. And the challenge is that I should live in the light of that and in the glory of it. God bless you. Amen.